Hello and welcome to today's issue of QUT News, Views and Spews. I'm Susan Heatherington and joining me in the Spews room today, we have... Fraser Barton. And back for a second go, we didn't bore him yesterday. Michael Scully. Yeah. Look, um, on our our list today, we are going to start with um, a Brisbane story, the, the planning laws and the Broadway Hotel, which has been very, very accident-prone, really. Three fires. That, that's extraordinary, isn't it? That's, that's a lot of bad luck. What do we think about that, Fraser? I'd say three fires in three years is a uh, cause for concern. <laughs> yes, uh, a little bit of a cause for con- concern um, because we know that that's a prime development site. Yes. Um, which, um, you know, it's very convenient, shall we say, Look, um, a, a couple of years back, I, I live at Highgate Hill, mm-hmm. and um, there was a protest just around the, the corner about a pre-war home that had um, a development application had been approved. Now, under Queensland law, you or you can't remove pre-war homes; they're heritage okay. without. Okay. But the the council had argued that it and the developer had put a case that it was uneconomical to to repair this home and they had all of these quotes that said you know we need to do this this and this which put it out of the realms of being um being repairable um and on the basis of that the council then allowed them to demolish and put up units our ward councillor at the time said that she could take me on a tour of the the gabba ward and show me a whole lot of other houses that were being left to rot okay. on the grounds that you could then make a case that they no longer had uh, any any heritage value. So they made value. them obsolete and then watched them become dilapidated. And, yeah, yeah, and look, that that is an absolute huge issue. Either they they have heritage value, um, in which case we preserve them, or they don't. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know. What What are your um, companions, the, the people that you talk to, saying, Fraser? Uh, well, it, I think the argument is whether or not these pre-war homes are, even though they're heritage listed, should maybe the argument is should they be heritage listed or should there be certain ones that are and certain ones that aren't, so that we're not. So that we're actually truly protecting heritage and not just protecting old things. Yeah, we're not just doing it for the sake of, of doing it. So what is the heritage of these buildings? Um, well, as you would know as an a, a, a outsider coming to Queensland, yeah. that the what we like to call the timber and tim, tin, okay. that there is a, a distinctive Queensland building, okay. uh, the Queenslander in, yes. indeed, mm-hmm. and there are, are suburbs, uh, not unlike the one that you're, you're living in at the moment, that oh, are, yes. are very uh, old suburbs, uh, uh, traditional timber and tin, and it's about conserving that as much as individual buildings. Now, the Queenslander are these buildings that are hoisted up on stilts, yes. and people live eight or ten, well, eight or, forgive me, eight or twelve feet above the ground. Yes. And they're all made of wood. Yes. Yeah. And they're timber. called the Queenslander. Queenslanders, yeah. uh, made of timber with tin, named, you know. with tin roofs. We're very imaginative in yeah. our naming well, conventions. I, I think I've seen them. I think they're beautiful. They're the, and I would compare them to the Cape Cod, yes. which is a bungalow in New England. Um, 
And so are they heritage? Well, I think they're very much part of the of what Queensland means to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, things don't get old if you knock them down. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, and we're never going to have that kind of history that some European cities um, have if we knock down what's there. I agree. Um, and the Broadway Hotel, if nothing else, was a very, very distinctive, very stunning building. But is it my fault? Is it? Is it? Well, it's not your fault because you wouldn't have been young enough to to drink in it to keep it alive. Um, yeah, I live in the area. I, it's very easy for me to say, shame on you for knocking it down. But was I drinking there? Well, no. So if we actually want to preserve heritage, should we be speaking with our wallets? Okay. Well, I think architecture is a form of art. It's a longer form of art. And that we dwell in these places along the cityscape or the public sphere, and these buildings help define the boundaries that we walk along and the communities that we build around them. Was this hotel of... I I don't know the space. I know... I've seen pictures of it on TV, but... It's very near the Gabba Hotel, okay. uh, the, the Gabba uh, Cricket Football Ground. Um, so it's an area that is now up and coming and being gentrified. Okay. Um, and at the time that it probably lost a, a lot of its its luster, if you like, there was not much going on there either commercially or in a residential sense. And now... Now, not so much. Now it's in a city. It's attractive. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, I've watched them level most of Manhattan and put up glass and steel. When they go to shoot the historic um, movies in New York now, they shoot it in Brooklyn because the old New York profile is still very much alive in Brooklyn. So every time they level a Queenslander, you know, Brisbane's losing part of its historic identity. Mm-hmm. I mean, would it worry you? I, mean, I don't imagine, Fraser, that right now you're thinking about your legacy in terms of children and, and so on, but it, does it worry you that the city is changing to not the one that you grew up in or the one that the people that come after you may see? Um, I think that I think that the it is important to maintain the, the small amount of culture that Australia has it, it, because <laughs> <Sleep port. laughs> well it, it's we're a very young nation the constitution was signed on the 1st of January 1901 it's 117 years of history which is a speck of dust on in the grand scheme of things but in particular I'm all for big buildings like the Treasury Casino uh, buildings of significance being heritage listed and being maintained and not being touched but the old Queenslanders they're there have been, been studies on the types of housing in, that have afforded to the people in Queensland. And when it comes to winter, even though winter in Brisbane is not, not very cold, the design of the houses in winter actually make winter, particularly for old people, a lot harsher. So in a study done in Scandinavia, so in Sweden, uh, Switzerland, Canada, and Australia, assessing the types of houses afforded to people and the types of houses people live in, particularly in winter, the uh, highest mortality rate was in Australia. And that was induced by the, uh, the types of houses that we live in and the lack of insulation that old Queenslanders have. So I would argue that, you know, if we're, if we're looking to better people's lives or give them a better lifestyle, particularly in, in winter, which is not that cold in Brisbane. It's cold but enough. It's cold enough, but for, particularly for the older generations who might not be as nimble and able anymore, 
we need to put them in insulated homes that are might have lo- might have maybe lost touch with society a little bit. Yeah, I I can see that it's very easy to be nostalgic, but it's you need to be a degree of practical too. And I can tell you, having lived in in um, in England for four years at different times of my life. I've been colder in my mother's Queenslander in winter than I ever was because they are built to allow breezes to circulate mm-hmm. and to. Um, I've in, noticed, yeah. Yeah, they um, they they're not great on keeping drafts out at all. No, but that 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 is a true point. Now you'd like to bring to the table today um, and have a. A little download, a, a, a verbal download on the state of Australian politics. Yeah. What would what is bothering you, Fraser? I think what bothers me the most is we we live in this age where everyone looks to be progressive, or everyone's trying to push this progressive nature, and ev- everyone, particularly in the younger generations of of countries, everyone's thinking, oh, you know, like why is it my country doing this? Why is my country doing that? And then we've got all the generations that. Uh, maybe have a bit more conservative beliefs, at least. In Australia, i found that the, the politicians are they're great. You know, there's career politicians. You've got people from all different sectors working in, in politics, and the parties that they represent are fantastic. You know, they've got great core values. But I feel like in the last six years we've gone through, we've had five prime ministers in five years, and we've had... It's been... The politicians have been more concerned with their party and basically pushing the beliefs of their party instead of catering to the masses and basically affording a democracy that the Australian people would like. I don't think Australia wants to go to the polls next year and have an, another change of government because we're going to be back to square one from four or five years ago when we, were, when we had a Labour government and then we'll just keep going back and forth. And it's just, I think what what I'm looking for is consistency and instead of just this yelling match in parliament of you're not doing this and your people are doing this and your people are half English, half Australian and constitutionally unable to hold a seat in parliament. Why are we not addressing the main issues instead of talking about the issues that these politicians have within their own With their own parties and their own jobs. I have to say that I have been absolutely appalled, although probably not terribly surprised, in the debate over the last 24, 48 hours, perhaps a bit longer, about the culture of bullying, um, particularly against female MPs and and senators. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of the commentary that says things like, well, politics is a a tough game, Um, you know, toughen up, sweetheart. There have been a lot of other industries that have had to confront that kind of logic using my bunny ears again. Like the military, for example, for a long time there were debates that said you can't have females in the military because it is a tough business, it's war, it's, you know, I don't know, God knows having periods or something turns you into a lunatic that's incapable of of fighting a a war or whatever it might be. But it it is very unacceptable, very, very unacceptable to say that politics being a tough game is any kind of excuse 
for bullying, intimidation and standover tactics and that mm. if, you, if you're if you not up to it, then you're in the wrong business. I'm sorry, your business model is seriously broken yeah. if you think that being a, a bully and a standover man, and in this case it probably is standover men, um, is is the right model for for your conduct that is not good enough and I, i'm we expect more we exactly mm-hmm. what you're saying we don't expect people to scream at each other and fight these petty little internal fights with these funny little power games we actually want them to to tackle whether it be climate change or whether it be um uh, immigration policy. What? What? It, we want them to tackle the issues like housing affordability, mm-hmm. like the price of my groceries, like the price of my electricity. And honestly, I don't care um, whether or you know what your little internal party squabble is today. It's mm-hmm. pretty pathetic. It's trickle down economics, isn't it? Like you've got this hierarchy at the top, yeah. who are who are supposed to be setting the example and leading leading from the front and if that doesn't happen you just get this yeah if, if we accept <laughs> if we accept that it is okay for politicians to bully each other yeah. what kind of message does that say to the kids in the playground that we're having these all these anti-bullying kind of initiatives mm-hmm. for if we accept that it's okay to to name call and scream at each other across the chamber, how is it not okay in the classroom or what other aspect question. of life? I think that the the first the first test any politician has to endure is one of character. And you know, coming from the states, I've been watching my government fail or the leader of my government fail that character test daily, if not multiple times a day. Um, and to hear that bullying is a you know, is a tool that he is using to get what he wants and seeing that he's setting a standard um, of behavior that seems to be pervasive. It's starting to pop up in Turkey and in Poland and in Romania and here in Australia. It, um, it's a dangerous precedent. Mm-hmm. All right. Now we're going to move to our, our fi- the final bit of the segment, which is where we get a little bit potentially lighter and fluffier. Um, potentially, and uh, but with a serious edge for you, um, Fraser, you want to talk about the, all of the talk of, of recent days about digital and gaming addiction and mm-hmm. young people and just bring a, a, a younger person's insight into what you're seeing and how the media is actually really missing a, a lot of the the points and the, and the drivers to this. Yeah, well, you would have seen in Jacksonville, Jacksonville, Florida. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, eight days ago, there was a, a shooting at a, what they call Madden, is the is the name of the game, and it's American football but on a PlayStation and Xbox, and a, a competitor in the tournament. He lost his game. He went he went out, came back, with a gun, and injured eleven people and killed two others, and immediately the, not only American domestic media but international media reporting saying. This is exactly what we've said. Games are, they promote, they're they're violent, they promote violence. And this is a, this is an American football game. And they're immediately labeling a sport, which hundreds of millions of people follow around the world as dangerous to play in a video game setting. Now let's talk about, can we, let's talk about the sport because I need some 
clarification mm-hmm. from you, Frazier, but the sport itself you're talking about is not football in the traditional uh, gridiron sense. It's football played in a digital environment. Yeah, it is. You are. It's a top-down game where you control. Say you're on the offense in uh, gridiron. Uh-huh. You control the offense as your quarterback. You can throw the ball to a player, then you control him. It's just like it was. It's it's just like playing the sport as if you were every single player on the field. Now let me ask: Is it sport? Well, yes. There, it's sport because it's competitive. There's companies and organizations that invest in these particular players and pay them salary to compete in tournaments. But that's the same argument that my husband uses as to why bridge a card game should be the Olympics. And I'm not buying it from him, yeah. to be honest. Okay. Well, it's, I'd say it's a sport because it's, you're, you're not playing against, in the, in the more common sense, you're not playing against a computer like you used to. So when these games first came out, when the PlayStation first came out, you'd, be, you'd sit at your console and you'd play against the computer. You'd play in a season. You'd manage a season like, like you do in real life, as if you were the coach. But now, with the Internet of Things, you can, people sit at their homes playing these games, streaming them for tens of thousands of people around the world, if you're uh, popular. And these people are getting paid masses amounts of money for it. Such money, as? Uh, what, in terms what kind of money. money, yeah. Well, there, so we were talking about the new craze, which is the Fortnite game. Mm-hmm. And there's a particular streamer. His name is Tyler Blemons, I believe. His alias is Ninja. It of was, course it is. Yeah, yeah. It, was worked, it was worked out that when he, at the peak of his stream at the beginning of this year, in, on top of, so donations, uh-huh. subscribers, of which he had 250,000. Uh, and by subscribers, you're talking about a fan base. Yes. Mm-hmm. So people will pay to $5 or $4.99 US. Just which, to follow him. Yeah. Just and- to follow him and get uh, subscriber benefits so they can mm-hmm. talk in his, in his chat. There's a Discord channel where people can, Discord is a, uh, an audio app where you can listen and talk to your friends and play with them in-game. Uh-huh. You can share content and that. So Tyler Blevins he was making upwards of, I think his net worth in the first six months of this year alone was 150 million <laughs> US dollars really? per day. So per month from subscribers alone, he'd make close to a million US dollars just, just from people paying to watch him play. And I would watch him pay, uh, play for free. I wouldn't subscribe because you can do that. Yeah. But these people were such Actually avid participating. Yeah. So a sport in you know in the analog version is it it's an athlete competing against other athletes, mm-hmm. and they have a fan base and they have and they're getting a professional salary. Mm-hmm. So your argument is that Ninja has all of these things. The only difference is that he's competing in a digital realm. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and he he does charity. He did not only does he does. Not only does he do competitive events, but he's done charitable events where he's raised three or four million dollars for a charity of his choice, and sponsors all the sponsors that sponsor him love that. It means so, more money for him mm-hmm. as well. So is this the, is this the future of sport? Oh, definitely. So there, there's we were talking about with Tristan earlier the power chair football being pushed for Paralympics. Yep. Uh, esports is on the precipice of being involved. Well, a, a few games are on the precipice of being involved in the the actual Olympics sooner or later. Okay then, but when when you hear the debate that we're having in Queensland at the moment about um, gaming addiction, mm-hmm. 
Um, how does that sit with you? Are, are we asking the wrong question? No, do you there's think? there's definitely addiction is certainly a thing. Much like people abuse alcohol, people abuse smoking, people abuse their hobbies. Mm-hmm. You, you know, some people love golf so much they play seven times a week. You know, and they they may have a full time job. Mm. Gaming is the exact same thing. If you can, if you do not regulate, especially as parents, if you don't regulate your your children's access to games, if you don't give them a healthy, active lifestyle where they they have balance in all things, so balance of school, social life, uh, online life, social media as well. I say social life as in just hanging out with friends in the afternoon. If there's no balance, then addiction can certainly take over, and it can be horrible for it can be horrible for for young and, kids and for, fatal. Yeah, like we saw in China where a person gamed for over 20 hours and unfortunately died of dehydration. But one of, one of the biggest problems with gaming addiction at a young age is these children lose their social skills because they're so used to communicating in a digital environment. When they're sitting or standing face-to-face with someone having a conversation, they may lose some of their normal social skills that have been around for... Look, as I, long as humans have been I, I've seen that already um, coming through in journalism students that, you know, I've been doing this job for <clears throat> a number of years <laughs> and uh, initially it was difficult for me to get young journalism students to go out and talk to people face to face. But they were very comfortable on, on a phone, yeah. picking up a phone and cold calling someone. That was not scary because we couldn't see them and so yeah. on but increasingly young people will say can i send them an email or can i talk to them through facebook or because even uh, the business of picking up a phone and talking to a stranger is something that people of your generation do considerably less mm. that because you're talking to your friends directly through mobile devices you we had to go through the gatekeeper of parents you'd have to ring the right. home phone the one home phone in the house very old and talk to someone's parents. Yeah. So you had to go through the business of introducing yourself, say who you were, what you wanted, all of that yeah. kind of stuff. You couldn't ring past seven as well? It's no, no, no. You mm. couldn't. You, there were all of these kinds of rules. And so you're dealing with a generation that are already losing those skills. And as a parent, I find that the most difficult thing is that it's it's easy to say, well, just don't let them. Yeah, that mm. that's very easy. But unlike the PlayStation or the Wii or whatever that came before, you could very easily regulate and take it away. And, mm-hmm. you know, only comes out on the weekend or you can't play after whatever o'clock at night. You can't take a young person's laptop away from them right. because they cannot possibly do their homework. Yeah. Um, and by the time they're in grade 11 and 12, etc., you're not going to be up till midnight necessarily watching every word that they're writing in their assignment on a subject that you couldn't understand even if you if you tried mm-hmm. so there has to, it is more difficult to put what people are saying well just take it off them yeah how how exactly am i just going to do that and most of these kids are smarter at getting workarounds yeah. than i'm ever going to be yeah. well a lot of parents have said that you know their last resort is to take away the laptop or to take away the phone but at the same time, they're hesitant to do so because they might they feel like they're depriving their kids of communicating with their friends after school. Because mm. this is how everyone gone are the yeah. days of where people would hang around the, the cul-de-sac on their bikes yep. in the in the neighborhood and throw a ball around. Mm. Everyone's mm. in their living rooms in front of screens, yeah. communicating that. So if if the parents take that away from their kids, how are the kids supposed to communicate? But because also, you know. 
the if you want to to punish them by saying, well, uh, uh, go do your homework. Well, you can't do that. You can't do that <laughs> no, either. The same device that they're doing their homework on is also their communication device. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. Yes. Look, we're going to finish on something uh, light and flippant. I think we really need to talk neighbours. Okay. Um, neighbours did this, which is being hailed, uh, I find strange, as a groundbreaking um, program last night where two of the main characters had a gay wedding. And uh, this has been the first one in a soapy in, a, in Australian history, and it was officiated by Magda Svansky, um, who just happened to be a celebrant that rocked up in Ramsey Street just to perform the, the gay wedding. Um, it was really interesting. I haven't watched Neighbours for years, but um, they had two aisles so that both men were walked by their families to to the front of, of the ceremony. They both ex- exchanged vows and, and rings and the cake had two grooms and, and so on. And I was just thinking really how far, how far this debate, this issue has come so quickly. Yeah. And it wasn't that long ago that it was extraordinarily rare to see any gay portrayals on television it was it was groundbreaking and then we gradually started in the reality shows where you would see a gay couple renovating a house or cooking a dessert or whatever it whatever it be and you know life imitating art or art imitating life um and not having any kind of outrage It is it is a thing I think that we we really should be proud of in a way. It's neighbours, who cares? Yeah. Like it's a piece of fluff that doesn't even make it onto Channel Ten. It's on yeah, Channel it's, Eleven. Yeah, but it's, that show's been watched by probably millions of Australians over the past. You say it's been going for twenty or thirty years, right? A long time. Kylie yes, Minogue was uh, was uh, um, born out of Neighbours. Um, I did my my peak. Neighbours watching whilst working in a pub in England because um, they loved the Australian accent and I kind of loved that little bit of of home. Mm. Um, And that Neighbours certainly did not have gay characters, much less gay marriages. Well, sexual behaviour on TV has gone through quite a... I mean, it has a long history. I Love Lucy, they didn't show... in. You would see their bedroom and they would have two separate beds because the television viewing audience wasn't supposed to see a couple sleeping in the same bed. And we didn't see that until the Brady Bunch came around. No, that was that was really pushing the boundaries. It blended blended the, yeah. blended families before we knew what one was. And then and then the idea of gay or same sex couples we didn't really see. They introduced the same sex couple on Friends and that mm-hmm. was sort of the beginning of it. I also thought the T V series Frasier was mm-hmm. about about two fastidious brothers, but it could also be perceived as as a as same sex well there's there's short. there's a a lot of talk and i i guess some of it quite spurious about Bert and Ernie yeah. in in oh, Sesame yes. Street two men sit sleeping in the in the one room having their little squabbles <laughs> yeah, over they may have been the first original they same may, sex couple they may well have been it shows how far we've come in a year though it, when, it's huge when people were screaming the world will burn yes. if same sex marriage is legalized and now we have this on a regular television show in Australia, it's, it's With, remarkable. Yeah. I, I, you know, this segment is meant to be about this spewing. What I found really interesting was the lack of spewing. Yeah. That the fact that 
in such a short time after the ridiculous waste of money that was the plebiscite, suddenly we've all just done what, you know, I think most what of us knew would happen. Does. We got on with it and we don't care. Yeah. Um, except to say, yay. Yeah. Yay, neighbours. Well done. It was very tastefully um, handled. And, um, you know, um, the fact that there was no even pretend outrage, although I haven't listened to Alan Jones this morning or any other morning. <laughs> so who knows? Maybe I missed it. It will turn up eventually. It will turn up eventually. Watch this space. Well, thank you, Fraser. Well, thank you very much for having us. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Susan. Uh, and we will be back tomorrow with a bit more spewing. See ya.